How's your week been? Edith Bowman here, and you're listening to the fourth episode of Play Next, created in partnership with BMW. Play Next is out every Wednesday, so if you're loving our selection of breakthrough artists and brand new tracks, why not hit the subscribe button now to make sure you never miss an episode. Massive thanks to those of you who have already subscribed. It is very much appreciated. As always, this week, I've got a brilliant episode for you to kick it all off. I've got three tracks that I just can't get enough of, really. Following that, I'll be chatting to indie rock goddess Juanita Stein about her upcoming album Snapshot. And to end, I'll be picking the brain of club DJ, broadcaster and tastemaker Jam Supernova, asking all there is to know about discovering new music. But first, as promised, here's three new tracks for you. The first song I've got for you is by the incredible Pip Millet. Her new track, Stupid People, is awash with shimmering guitars and arresting vocals, making her an artist that I'm really excited about. Let's see what you think. Here's Pip with Stupid People. Can we start over again? I have been missing you. Can we start over again? I have been missing We didn't know what it was We didn't know if it was love I didn't know I couldn't get too deep I didn't know you couldn't swim I didn't know we wouldn't flow I didn't know much at all Help. 
Manchester-born Pip Millet. Now, Manchester has such a rich history of birthing amazing music scenes and artists, always innovative sounds and great lyrical content. Pip Millet definitely fulfilling all those credentials. Next up, we've got some stadium-sized indie pop from the Liverpool-based Red Rum Club. Their debut album is out in October. This is their latest single, Ballerino. Watch me break free from the mold All eyes on ballerino There's a place that we There's not enough trumpets in songs, I feel. That's Red Rum Club and Ballerino. You're listening to Play Next. Still to come, I'll be in conversation with majestic frontwoman turned magnificent solo artist Juanita Stein and tastemaker extraordinaire Jam Supernova. But right now, here's a song I am loving at the moment. Prepare to have your ears and mind blown with this brilliant track, All I Know, from Bristolian four-piece The Desert. 
sexy and gorgeous. That is all I know from the desert. Now, I know, just like me, you were waiting for that build to drop into something huge. But I'm so glad they didn't. It just shows so much confidence. I like it. Now, if you are liking what you're hearing today, then I've got some good news for you. A playlist of all of today's songs is now available on Spotify. Simply search BMW UK on Spotify and click play next to find all of our featured tracks under one virtual roof. This is Play Next, brought to you in partnership with BMW, with me, Edith Bowman. Thank you so much for joining me. Coming up, I'll be speaking to Jam Supernova. But first, an artist whose musical stylings I've loved for many years now. You might know Juanita Stein as the front woman of indie rock group Howling Bells. Having enjoyed a long career as the band's singer and lead guitarist, Juanita now prepares for the release of her latest solo album, her third since 2017. Snapshot fuses her cooing vocals with dark and dreamy Mazzy Star-inspired guitar strums. I think she is one of the most captivating front women around. She's got this hypnotic quality that takes you straight into her world. With so much under her belt and a new album on the way, I wanted to catch up with her and find out how she does it all. Hey, Juanita. Hello. (laughs) How are you? I think it was Glastow probably the last time I briefly caught you. Um, listen, it's really exciting um, and wonderful to get the opportunity to talk to you about new music of yours because you're kind of prolific in terms of your songwriting and that you you never stop. And for me, it feels like you very much use writing music, writing lyrics as a, as a kind of outlet of almost just, you know, kind of almost telling people how you feel really and, and helping you. I guess, address certain things or, or, you know, deal with certain things. Is that a fair assumption? 100%. I was literally just saying that to somebody who I was talking to before. Um, She asked the same thing, which is that you made two solo records in succession very quickly, and now you've made this one, and what is it that propels you to keep making music so quickly? And the answer was something like, I don't have that ability to kind of uh, stop, take a break, assess and move forward. That's not something I've ever been very good at, which is probably a very useful thing for an artist to have. But I don't, I, I feel constantly pushed, push, 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 push. Like I, there's such an incredible volume of creative output mm-hmm. that needs to be released. And if it's not, then I'm just going to explode. And so snapshot your your new record, you know, unfortunately you lost your your dear dad, um, who was obviously a, an inspiration to you in terms of his creativity and being a songwriter and a musician. And, you know, the fact I loved um, that story your brother told about, you know, you being the first thing he remember, you know, recorded in the studio with your dad and you would. And that was kind of almost like the catalyst for you of like, yeah, and you'd sort of engross yourself in music from that point, really. Yeah, yeah. When all you know as a kid is writing, recording, lamenting, um, you know, kicking back and, and, and really, really listening to records the way my dad did, then that's not an unusual thing to do. So to then grow up and do that and immerse yourself in the same thing is, is very normal. And then later on, of course, you recognize that your dad is an unusual person. And not only because he was a musician, singer, songwriter, but because he was an unusual guy. I mean, he was not a regular dad. I never, ever saw my dad in a suit, ever. 
I never saw him. He never had a nine to five job. He was, he was a punk. He was a hustler. He just did what he had to do to get by. And in essence, you become part of that. And so is Snapshot a snapshot of him? Yeah, Snapshot is, is the record in itself is entirely about him and the experience of losing him. And I've had grandparents pass away. I've had family members pass away. But to have someone you're so close to pass away is astonishing. The pain is astonishing. The process is astonishing. Um, and then just the idea that you can lose people so quickly and that, and that you just have to deal. Like, just find a way to deal. And that I found really immense. And so obviously making music was was the only thing I had to, like, claw onto. Although this is a personal journey for you, I think a lot of people are going to find an amazing connection with the music and with the lyrics through that. I hope so, because like I said, you, nothing can prepare you for that acute pain, but music can. Yeah. And the timing of everything was very strange, but I do remember for whatever reason, I love jazz, I love old jazz, and I remember when there was this one Kellington song in a sentimental mood, and... And for whatever reason, I had to listen to that. I hadn't done this since I was a kid on repeat, like 12 times over and over and over and over. And there's no words, there's no lyrics, but for some reason, that was the song that said to me, all right, it's cool. You're going to be all right. You're going to survive. Everything's going to be okay. And if anything on this record could do that for anybody, that would be amazing. Yeah. Has it been helpful to you though, that whole process of, you know, of almost kind of, giving him the most beautiful and perfect send-off, really, and, and, and keeping his memory alive through your music. Yeah, I think so. I honestly don't know what I would have done if I didn't have the ability to, to creatively um, express what I was feeling. And then um, it, was, it was very soon after writing the body of the songs that I was able to get in touch with Ben Hillier and start recording the record. So it was all very, very, very fast, and it didn't really give me a moment to, to not be musically involved mm. throughout the process of him being ill. So, you know, I thank the music gods for that. Otherwise, I, I just don't know what I would have done. But yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about a couple of specific tracks on, on the record, if you don't mind? Reckoning. Can you talk to me a little bit about that track? Yeah, that's one of the tracks that the, the lyrics and the verses were, I use the word acute again, since I can't find a better word, but it, it's that very, very sharp reality of what's going on. And the lyrics in the verses to that are me literally walking through the hospital halls. So it's, it's the cold machines, the sound of the, the crows outside. To me, everything that happened throughout that process felt very vivid and almost like a, you know, an insane dream that I had. So I'm kind of paraphrasing the experiences leading up to him passing. And then, of course, the, the chorus is... is letting him go is him going. Yeah. Um, and I really feel because he was such a profoundly spiritual person. So for me, he is the dove looking down and that's the lyric in the chorus of the reckoning. 
Do you have a way of writing? Like, is, is, it not, is it a lyric that comes first and you write, you know, almost a kind of poetry to, and then the melody kind of comes afterwards, the music side of things comes after? Is that how you tend to write? Usually music first. Usually pick up the guitar, music, um, then melody. And then uh, either the, the poetry comes or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, I let the song go. I'm okay about that. Obviously, with this record, because I was feeling so much, there was such a volume of feeling, the lyrics and the music were just simultaneous. The fact that you haven't stopped as a, a solo artist in terms of just this wonderful creativity that you, you like you say, if you can't get it out it's kind of you know you're gonna go mad sort of thing I, I guess was that instant you know you knew that you already had this kind of drive to want to make music as a solo artist um yeah I mean towards towards the last few years of touring with the band I was already kind of writing material and feeling like I'd love to express this um country songbird side of me that you know really wanted to sit in um do you know that Andrew Wyeth painting where the girl is like lying on the grass by herself and there's a house in the distance? If I sent it to you, you'd be like, oh, okay, that one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I always wanted to be the girl in that painting. Just empathized with her in the sense that she was just kind of by herself on this prairie and there was a house in the distance and I just was, I was crawling towards that. I just wanted to be isolated. And making that first record was was me exploring that isolation. And finally, can you talk a little bit about Snapshot, the track? Yeah. Um, trying to reflect on on what loss is and, and what it means to lose someone and how to hold on to that person for as long as you can. And that's why uh, the line, only the poetry remains, is so specific to him because he was a poet. So... And literally not long after he passed, my mom showed me this poetry that he'd written when he was 16 and it had won some school competitions. And it was just incredible. It was incredible. So I was literally holding on to shapes of poetry. And so that line just kind of, it represents everything I feel, which is that I, I guess I, I'm fortunate that I have the art. He's music and he's poetry to hold on to. Yeah. Thank you for being so so honest with us with this record because I think it's just something very very special and um because I can't imagine it was an easy thing to do but I think that finding the courage to do it is I imagine very rewarding for you in terms of healing it to a point but also I think what people will take from it as well yeah I it makes me so happy that um that you appreciate the record and that you can hear that there's something that I'm releasing I guess yeah. A new songbird. Um, so lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much for your time. And Snapshot is, is just a beautiful thing. So thank you so much, Juanita. That was the gorgeous Juanita Stein. And here she is with Reckoning.
Oh, that voice, so gorgeous, such a beautiful quality to it. Well, to end the show today, we've got a banger for you in the form of Say When from the exciting new group, Martha Gunn. But before that, let's talk about a subject close to this podcast's heart, and that's music discovery. For as long as I can remember, I've always loved discovering new music. For me, there's nothing quite like hearing a new band or a new artist or a new song and falling instantly in love and then hopefully getting to share that with an audience. Being on the radio allowed me to discover and play so much music that I might not have come across otherwise. How we discover music now is very different from when I was growing up. Where I used to rely on the radio, music magazines and friends, I've now got millions of tracks available to me at the touch of a button. Sometimes it can be hard knowing where to start. Jam Supernova is a DJ, a broadcaster, a record label boss and an all-round taste-making titan. Who better than to talk to about how we go about sorting the best new music from the rest? James, thank you so much for joining us uh, on Play Next. You feel like the the absolutely perfect person, to be honest, to be on this this podcast, which is talking about you know innovative music, really, because you're you're such a a champion and celebrator and supporter of it. Um, but you're one of many, many, many things. I wanted to ask you, what did you put down on an, an application form when you asked for your job? Um, I've kind of got into a habit of being like DJ, broadcaster, label owner, and then I just kind of cap it at that, really. Where do you think your relationship with finding and helping and nurturing and breaking new artists started? I think definitely from family, we sort of, our family's very music orientated. Like none of us play or anything like that, but in terms of like the shared uh, environments that we have or whether it's, you know, meeting up, is about swapping music. And there was always CDs being swapped between us. And if my uncle got a CD, then he'd come round and we would burn it. And and that's kind of how, how, how our relationship was. And then when I got to about um, 14 and obviously the internet, then I would just sit online for hours trying to find stuff. But I'd be like, what can I find? Oh, this song's yeah. out, can I find it? Can I get it? What about this classic? And that was the way I spent my fun and then it kind of developed into the blogs. And that was for me, I'd be like, that's how I spent my my downtime is, is finding new music. And even to this day now, that's the fun part of my job is me finding the music. That's the bit that I cherish and saviour. How do you find it now? What's the kind of root of... You know, because there's so much out there now, it can be a bit of a vicious circle, really. But how do you find new stuff now? For me, it's really important to rem- remain at that core of, of me finding stuff. I think that's kind of how I got to where I am as a tastemaker is by picking records that I like. Um, so I will, being like a child of the internet, I will always go to the internet first. So I set myself, uh, you know, in a week, a day to kind of a half a day to browse like my favourite blogs and my favourite playlists that I've kind of accumulated over the years and some, you know, obviously the nature of it, unfortunately uh, it's really hard for platforms to stay afloat. Some blogs have gone now, other ones have replaced them and I've been kind of like adapting as I've been going along. So before I was very much invested in SoundCloud and that's kind of how mm. I built my name. So I basically would plan my whole radio show based on the seven day feed of SoundCloud. And then SoundCloud got oversaturated, so I, I went back to the blogs. And then now I kind of mix in a few of the Spotify playlists that I like as well. So that, for me, is like the enjoyable time. I read articles about artists. I click on things that maybe it's not even something that I would play, but I'm, I'm interested in hearing it. Why not? Um, 
And then I will kind of go to my emails, which is like my kind of last point of call. So that's the stuff that I've made a note of all week that's been coming in um, from pluggers. Um, but one of the most exciting things that I've done over the last, I say, year year now is that I was getting a lot of unsolicited emails. Naturally, people you know, can guess your email and stuff like that. So on all my socials, I basically set up a music email. So oh, people amazing. Could e- yeah, so people could just email me music directly. There's also like a little link where you can directly upload your music and it will come to my email. And then I um, basically, I knew that I wouldn't have the capacity to go through it all on my own. Um, so I f- found this guy who works for Clash Mag, his name's Shaz. And I was like, Shaz, we've got the same taste. Would you be up for once a week going through the inbox for the last seven days and bringing me the top, you know, five to ten picks? And all of those that come in are literally from, you know, artists trying to hit me directly. There's no middle person. And, and yeah. if, I, if I like it and I play it, then that's their first time on radio. Wow. Yeah. That feeling as well of kind of having your first radio play is such a big deal still. You know, radio still holds such a strong and important place for for music and breaking music, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think the artists still care as well. You know, you have some artists that are like streaming driven, but I do think that they they see radio as part of the ecosystem as, and their strategy to kind of get to that next level. Well, because it's been personally picked as opposed to algorithm, algorithm, is it, what's that a word? Algorithmically picked? Yes, I think it is. <laughs> I think it is, yeah. But, you know, but it's coming from a place of emotion and connection rather than just a kind of digits numbers. Yeah, and actually going through that list of like the unsolicited emails and obviously having Shaz do the filtering um, for me, the picks are really, really strong. And often for me, I would prefer to bump out a bigger artist and play one of their songs, you know, if I like it enough because it, it does mean something to them and it and it could be a moment that changes them and often it goes on to be a relationship that we build. So from yeah. that first play, I'll, I'll keep on supporting or we'll have a, li- a, a direct line of communication. What do you, what for you is the reaction in you that signals that it's a good track, that it's, that there's something about it? I think it varies, um, but I kind of, I know it sounds cliche, but do I like it? Do I enjoy this record? So I'll kind of make a list of everything that I want to play and I'm always over. So I've got a two hour show realistically with features and um, interviews. I probably have about uh, 20 tracks that I can play and I normally have about 40 tracks that I'd like to play. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and that's every week. So what I, what I do is I go along is I start making like, uh, I mark them out of 10, sort of just on the first initial listen. Yeah. And then anything lower than a seven, then I scrap out and then I kind of order it from, from there. Um, but for me, yeah, it's like, do, is it interesting as well? Because mm. I get sent a lot of music that sounds like somebody. So a James Blake-esque record, a Frank Ocean-esque record, a Solange-esque record. And there's only so much of that that's going to excite me. And I might hear a record that's really wonky and a little bit weird. And maybe actually I don't know if I like it. It's challenging. And I want to play it because of that. But it's so interesting what you say about um, the kind of mimicking thing that I find really annoys me. Like I almost have a knee-jerk reaction to go, Mm -hmm. no, as soon as I hear like someone trying to do Billie Eilish or, you know, even already there's like, people trying to do Arlo Park. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of, there's just this, it's almost there going, oh, that's really popping through. I need to sound like that. It's like, no, you don't. No, not at all. Not at all. And I think actually one thing I've learned is um, coming back to things with a fresh ear. 
So now I've started, like, I'll make the list of my long list, you know, the, the Sunday night. And mm-hmm. then Monday morning, 7.30am, I wake up, I get into bed with the laptop, and then I listen with such a more critical <laughs> way. I'm like, oh, this was, how, you, you liked this? Really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's a bit average, you know. Yeah. Then you've that guilt of going, well, someone's worked really hard on this I as know, well. It's I like, know, <laughs> But, you know, we, we, we got to where we are by being critical, so. Yeah, know. totally. But yeah. have you found it, I mean, you know, I guess, I found it quite difficult with um, when I was on Radio 1 in that there was a real limit in terms of what I could bring to the table in a way. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of choosing your kind of battles carefully almost, you know what I mean, in terms of, you know, and it was mainstream and it was kind of, but there were certain things that I really remember kind of fighting for. Like, like I remember the first time I heard Rehab by Amy Winehouse and, you know, it was a very different sound for her. You know, she'd come yeah. through from Frank and it was all kind of really jazz infused and stuff. And But this was like, this was, and I was just kind of, this is amazing. And, and I remember taking it into, or getting the feedback from my producer who'd taken it to playlist for me. And they were like, nah, it's too retro. They don't like it. And it's like, wow. what? And it's kind of, I don't know, it's really... When you, when you kind of, when, you, when something gets under your skin, you'll kind of really fight for it. Yeah. Have you had that? Yeah, definitely. When I first got my show on One Extra, so before I got my show on One Extra, I'd been working behind the scenes at the BBC for five years. And then um, I had been doing a radio show on a, on a community station called Represent. And I was really championing this kind of like internet alternative R&B. So like from like, I guess it sort of kicked off from 2009 onwards, but by like 2011, 2012, it was, it was, it was really big and it, on, online. But the BBC on One Extra had gotten rid of the R&B show. They thought they didn't need a R and B show anymore, um, so there's obviously like a massive loss there. But equally, the R and B that I was championing was very different to what they had been had been before. Yeah. So, um, you know, I did a, a documentary called "The Future uh, The Future of R and B," and we had all the selection guys on there. Um, we would play A Marie uh, these records that uh, these SoundCloud producers had remixed, and it was like one of their best. Uh, best listened uh, documentary that year over their Pharrell documentary and then they were like oh okay we, we need we need we need a show now but then when I actually got the show um they were like yeah so we don't really know what kind of alternative R&B is but you know would you are you going to play some Trey songs and I was like no or about the weekend I was like no that's not that's that's not the remit of of what this is and it felt like this real kind of battle but I knew that I wasn't going to be swayed because I have seen other people and I'm sure you have seen other people be swayed and start playing something that isn't them and then go down this route where they can't can't get out of so yeah I was I was doing the show and um I wasn't changing it and every week the music uh, head of music would come over and be like you know I liked your show but you why did you play the remix and not the original and stuff like that and um I would, I just would be like, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll tweak it for next week, and I just didn't because I read the John Pill book, and he said John Pill had it, yeah. and he said, yeah, just, you know, the, of all people, and yeah. he kept saying, just say yes, just nod and say yes, and don't change nothing, and <laughs> yeah. then yeah, the head of music actually went to the states uh, for meetings, and he said that everybody he went to was talking about my show. Amazing. And he'd be like, oh, but what about Charlie Slough? What about Mr. Jam? And I'd be like, no, but Jam, she's the one that plays us first. And then after that, I never heard a peep. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In one ear, out the other. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nod, nod and smile and do the other yeah. thing. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm really sorry. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. To- totally, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you um, have to. 
Who are you most proud of that's gone on that you've kind of, you know, helped along the way? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'd probably say Hack Baker is a really good example. Um, so he, his manager came to me and was like, look, we have this record from this guy and we don't have any idea where to start it on radio. Um, would you be up for starting it? And I listened to it and I thought, it's different. It's like future folk. I was like, yeah, okay. I can't see where else on One Extra that would play it, but I liked it. And I thought, if I can't play it on One Extra, then I don't know where else it would sit. And I think that sometimes um, what I feel like my role is on One Extra is is to, I guess, to show that black music isn't monolithic, that black music can be so many different things because yeah. often if it's not rap or drill or, you know, grime, then it's not considered black music. And, and so often it would go straight to Radio 1 without having um, the support from One Extra. So yeah. I really feel that my positioning is important to start those journeys for those left-of-centre black artists. Um, I'd also say Jay Gray is a good example. Um, she's obviously, uh, we played her, we debuted her first uh, record on the show. She's now, you know, went on tour with Billie Eilish, now, you know, getting Radio 1 support. Um, Green Tea Peng, we played her first on the BBC. Um, on seeing her, but what I like about her, her sound is still purish. You know, she's just signed to um, AMF, which is under Universal. Mm -hmm. And I actually think she gets better with every record. And yeah. she's really sort of putting a stamp on a sound. And, and I like the fact that she's like anti-Babylon and capitalism. And, you know, we need that. For all the glitz and glamour, you need someone that's kind of on that wavelength. And all the best artists that you look back at legendary really stood for something. Yeah, absolutely. They use that platform to have uh, to have an opinion and to say something yes. and to particularly now more so than ever, we need voices. You know what I mean? We need really kind of good, strong voices. But it's yeah. interesting what you're talking about, about the kind of genre thing as well. I've got I've got two boys and they are and they listen to the radio a lot as well, but they don't think of music in, in like genres. Mm -hmm. Which I think can, is a really sort of healthy thing in a way, because it kind of it keeps you open-minded with things as well. You know, like what you were talking about, about there, about black music, not having to, to be specific to certain genres about, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's such an, an interesting conversation, I think as well. And, and brilliant that you're a massive supporter of that as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think it kind of goes back to my childhood, actually. I think a lot of the stuff that I think about me musically now is all based on my formative years. Like, you know, growing up on New Jack Swing, my mom's husband loving XFM and Catonia, and that's what we <laughs> listened to in the car, and then raving to dubstep and or raving to dancehall, um, yeah. you know, and then working at the beat at One Extra and coming across drum and bass and, and things like that, and then working on Radio One and some of the dance shows. So it's like I was you know, all these all these things have kind of built up to to who I am now. Oh, it's amazing what you do. It really is. Thank you. It's brilliant. And it's been so great to chat to you. And thank, thank you. you so much for your time. I uh, really appreciate you having me on. So that's nearly it for episode four of Play Next, brought to you in partnership with BMW. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've been hearing, don't forget we've got a new episode coming your way every Wednesday. In the meantime, I'm going to leave you with a track from the band Martha Gunn. Now, with a name like that, you'd be forgiven for thinking it's one person but they are actually a five-piece who take their name from an 18th century folk heroine. Channeling Fleetwood Mac and Florence and the Machine on their new EP, here they are with their latest brilliant single, Say When. Reckless your heart to blame it all on me Tore us apart to satisfy your needs 
Very good, isn't it? That's Martha Gunn. Thank you so much for listening to this week's Play Next. I hope you enjoyed it. You can find me again next Wednesday with more brand new tracks fresh off the press. Please do go back and check out the previous episodes and don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Until next time, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.